Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have a guy on today that uh, his story is absolutely mind-blowing. His name is Eric Sorensen and he just wrote a new book with Russell Brunson and Justin Benton and all of these other amazing rock stars. Um, this dude also has a new book that he's going to share with everybody that is coming out here sh very soon. Um, I think May the 11th, but anyway, do me a favor and go ahead and share this out, share it out to everybody that, you know, let's get as many people on here as we possibly can. And let's listen to the story of Mr. Eric Sorensen. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And we're back. Let me bring Eric on. Eric, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Ken. It's so, so good to be here and so good to talk to you again. I know. I am so excited to have you here. I, I, you know, look, I have met a lot of people and I just, your energy when I had you and Justin Benton and Russell Brunson and all the guys on the Amazon live a few weeks, or I guess it's been a month or so ago now, man, I've loved your energy. I just love, love what you bring to the table energetically. And then I read your story in your, your new book with, with Justin and, and Russell inside the inner circle. I'm like, well, gosh, this guy's never had anything bad happen. <laughs> I'm kidding. Like he's, you have to <laughs> so say incredible. <laughs> I know you have an incredible story though, and, and a great energy. So listen, start by telling everybody where you were born and raised. Let's start there. Yes. I was uh, born and raised in Utah, Farmington, Utah, which is just about 20 miles or so North of Salt Lake city, Utah. I actually had five siblings, incredible parents. It was uh, it was kind of a dream childhood in the sense that my parents were very loving they rarely fought. They served in the community and it was kind of like Mayberry. It's, it's funny because till the, to this day, when I go home, you know, my, my father passed, passed away just a few months ago. But prior to that, I would leave the house and they would both be on the balcony waving goodbye, blowing kisses. We love you. I mean, that was literally my upbringing. I mean, my, my mom is, I get my energy from her. She's the cheerleader. My dad was a businessman. He was a little bit more conservative when it comes to his energy. Uh, but every morning when I was a kid, my mom, just to give you an idea of my upbringing, would pull our blankets off to wake us up in the morning for school, and she would sing the fight song of her alma mater, University, um, which is Rise and Shout, the Cougars are out. As if, and so literally she would sing that to us every day. So yeah, that was my upbringing. It was, it was in a sense, magical, but um, wow. it, was, it was really interesting now that you know I'm an adult now, and you look back and say, well, that's not really that normal. <laughs> yeah that's that's not normal you're right i well do you do that with your kids like oh, sing, no, no. Sing? <laughs> no my wife would probably slap me if i did 
So, so, um, so that, what'd you say is Farmington? Farmington, Utah. Yes. It's just a suburb okay. of Salt Lake City. Yeah. There's a big amusement park called Lagoon Park in Utah. That's Farmington. Okay. So we lived up on the bench, uh, up on the mountainside, actually. So we could see the entire valley growing up. And to this day, my parents live in the same home, which is awesome because when I go home, there's still pictures <laughs> on the walls of, you know, everything I remember from my childhood and little has changed in that home. Wow. So, so, um, oh, you froze there for a second. That, <laughs> that freaked me out. I thought, uh oh, he just lost. Um, so, all right. So when, when is, so that's where you went to, to, to grade school, middle school, high school, all that. Right. Um, yes. and so, and, and listen, I've been out there and that is such a beautiful area of this country. So beautiful. However, Salt Lake is an interesting lake, very interesting lake. And it seems to be diminishing. I, is that the word? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely receding for sure. It has been for yeah. years. It's, it's crazy. So, so, so did you like play sports and all that stuff in school? Yeah. So um, when I grew up, my parents enrolled me in all kinds of sports growing up. Football was sort of my favorite, um, essentially little league football, but I was like a late bloomer. I was the really skinny, scrawny kid growing up and I wasn't that tall. I'm six foot four now, but I didn't hit six foot four until I was 21 or so. So my growth spurt sort oh, of wow. happened later. I was one of the smaller kids in high school and then all of a sudden I'll, I just shot up. It was kind of crazy. So I got involved in when I, when my football career wasn't going to work out because I was probably 150 pounds <laughs> less, I yeah. uh, started playing uh, volleyball. I started running track across country. Um, so I was more, became more of an endurance athlete in high school. And I actually fell in love with it in high school. And to this day, I'm still a runner. So it's definitely wow. stuck with me, but that was my, my, my favorite thing was well, volleyball was one. I played basketball with just with the boys and still do to this day as yeah. well, but in track yeah. was the, track what uh, like the cross country part of it is seems so brutal to yes me. <laughs> well it was a, it was usually the 1600 or the 3200 which is you know the the mile or the two mile in track and then across country it was you know 5ks 10ks that kind of thing that's crazy that's crazy so so you 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 were involved in sports did you go to college what happened after yes. high school I did. After high school, I actually served a two-year church mission, um, and I went to Chile, learned another language, served at, uh, people for a couple of years. Um, it was amazing. Wow. It was an amazing experience. I went almost a full year without speaking a word of English because the, like, they assigned you like a companion, and the companion I was, I was with for the first year, there were several of them, were all native of either Chile or Argentina. And so it was really weird to go from taking a few years of uh, Spanish in high school to being fully immersed for two years. And it, it was amazing. By the end of that experience, I was obviously fluent and, and actually had a thick accent when I came back <laughs> that wow. my parents and my friends would make fun of me. But yeah, I did that. And then I went to um, uh, Utah Valley University for a couple of years and I graduated with an associate's degree. Then I went to BYU, Brigham Young University wow. in Provo, Utah after that. Wow. And what was your degree in? Uh, marketing communications. I actually left okay. before I finished. Do you people know that um, 
there were a couple of things going on in my life in a challenging marital situation and other things that sort of forced me yeah. to focus on that and leave. And then I stepped off and started a business and I actually never went back, which is interesting because it's, it, you know, I learned some amazing things in the marketing and communications um, world yeah. in school, yeah. but I learned a lot more doing marketing communications after that experience. And so, yeah, I actually walked away um, a little over halfway through and uh, never, never returned. The great Jim Rohn had a saying that he said, um, a formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. <laughs> so you I have found the, that to be a hundred percent true, at least in my life. It may not be for uh, everybody if you have a specialized trade, but as an entrepreneur, a hundred percent. Yeah. I, I mean, there's no better way to learn as an entrepreneur than to just do and screw up and figure it out and adjust and <laughs> right. So, so, oh, yes. so you, you left, you left BYU. Um, you didn't get a degree, a, a finalized degree. You have an associate degree. So that's better than me. I don't even have right. that. So, um, so, so you, you started a business, you said, what was the business? Yeah, so oddly enough, when I was in Provo, I, just like all of us, we, I was searching for a job, wasn't sure exactly right. what to do with my life. I had no idea what I wanted to become. And I, I, I just sort of by accident, as friend came to me and said, Hey, there's a job at the local newspaper. I don't know if you remember the newspapers, Ken or not. Um, yeah. uh, back in the day, yep. there used to be new, these things called newspapers. And yep. uh, I was taking classified ads. If you remember that people would call with obituaries or I'm going to sell my car. And that's how you did it back then 20 years ago, where you would just call and place an ad in the classifieds and then hopefully you'd sell your car. And I remember yep. I was making $12 an hour back then, 20 years ago. So that was like, that was a ton of money that's for a, me. You that know, was a lot of money. Yeah. And all that's of a like sudden 500 I- 500 bucks a week, right? Oh, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. And yeah. I, was, I was like living the life at $12 an hour back in, back in college. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. So, so from there, I, I started to see something really interesting. So I was just answering the phones, typing in classified ads. It was kind of a mundane job. And yeah. there was an ad department that was sitting behind me with account executives that work with ad agencies, national accounts, local accounts as well to place things like display ads. Of course, yeah. you know, most newspapers at the time didn't really have an internet presence and they weren't selling you know, digital marketing campaigns or SEO or, or uh, pay-per-click or anything like that. None but then it was just ads in the paper and maybe, you know, non-traditional publications. And I loved how they were interacting with clients. And I just loved how they were trying to solve their problems, even though it was the newspaper. But again, the newspaper worked really well back then. And um, I had an opportunity to join that team just a, maybe a year or two into that experience and I remember my pay went to $25,000 a year. I was like so excited. Like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm a part-time student. I'm making $25,000 a year right. doing this job. And I started working with clients. And one thing happened that I will never forget. And I write about it in my, um, in, I'm trying to remember which book. It was I don't think it's commit first. I wrote, I wrote about it in uh, uh, one, any one of them. I, uh, one of the two others, I believe. Yeah. And it was this this client had me develop an ad campaign for them in the newspaper. Right. 
And I remember placing these ads and I got a call maybe two weeks later and they were like almost in tears, so grateful because the, I didn't know that the business was struggling and this ad campaign worked, it hit, it connected and yep. it sort of started to fill their business. And I'm like, that feeling of like a cause and effect, for some reason, it just seemed like addictive to me. And that call was, was like, I'm very impact driven. That call to me was the gold. It was, that was the paycheck right there. Mm. And I, I was addicted. It, that's, I mean, that was, it was game over from that point on. I was diving full into the marketing and advertising world. But you were still an employee of the newspaper. I was. Okay. Yes. So, so you decided at that moment you were going to buy out the newspaper and take over and rule the world. You know what? Yes, but I didn't have enough money uh, to do that because I probably only had less than a thousand dollars in my bank account but, at the time. But honestly, and and it, to put it into perspective for people listening that that don't know what we're talking about, um, like and a, a to buy a newspaper or to own a newspaper back then would be like owning Google today. Like it. Oh yeah. It was. That's the that that was it. Like that was the, the, the form of communication for the everything really out, everything. outside of cable TV. But yeah. Since what the 1920s, thirties, whenever it yeah. was like, that was the thing for so long. I mean, my parents growing up every, every Sunday, especially, but every day my dad would have the newspaper and he would read through it before going to work. And that was just, that was how it was. Clearly that's not how it is today. No. But, that, that, that was the culture. So, so you, um, so, so you, you, you fell in love with the marketing and display ads and gosh, we, we, you know, did you guys do the advertorials? Did you guys ever do any of the advertorials in, in the newspaper? So back then there was this big thing between advertising and editorial. There should be like this wall in between them. <laughs> which really wasn't true because right. if a client was spending enough money, trust me, the editorial department would be on them with anything that they yep. can include them in from an editorial perspective. Um, but yes, we advertorials, we did do all the time, but we had to put on the bottom of the advertorial. This is an ad paid advertisement, et cetera. You know, the little disclaimer. So yes. Uh, now I never wrote those, but I was more into what's the right header. What's the right hook in the header that would drive people to this ad. Cause that's the most important thing. It's like above the fold, right? That's where that came from. What's above yep. the fold. What's the header that would allow people to, to really connect with that ad and what would drive traffic to that business. And I kind of became obsessed with how cool that was and how much just a header change or slight copy change, or even a slight creative change would make a big difference in the outcome of the ad. So cool. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. I, I, I love that. So, so talk about where things went from there. Cause obviously you didn't stay with the newspaper. No, this was the time where I was having major struggles um, in the, in the marriage early on. And some things were challenging. I ended up having to leave school to try to take care of some things. And uh, my advertising director at the newspaper left and went to another newspaper in Palmdale, California. And he called me up and said, Hey, do you want to run my ad department? And I'm like, oh, I don't, you know, Palmdale, California, <laughs> not the greatest place in California, um, you know, but Provo was what I knew. And he offered me $85,000 a year at like 23. And I'm like, wow, um, yeah. let me, let me actually, may, maybe I'll look into this. 
you know, I waited like five minutes and called it back. And I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm totally in. So, and I thought it was a good shift for, you know, the things that were going on in my life to hopefully maybe solve some problems where I wasn't so close to like family and everything. And, and for yeah. me, it was a, uh, by the way, I've never really told this story publicly, by the way, Ken, you're getting this firsthand of that wow. early, uh, those early times. And so yeah. I started running that ad department and it was, uh, it was super amazing to do that. And yeah. uh, working more on with more high level accounts. I started working with ad agencies, which I'd never done before. In Provo, it was mainly direct, direct local accounts. There was ad agencies and local accounts. And I started to fall in love with the fact that ad agencies could positively affect a business from 360 degrees. Whereas the newspaper was just at the time, maybe 20, 30, 40% of their ad budget, some yep. even more. And I just, I hated the fact that I could help them, but I couldn't really make a huge impact through just one right. medium. And it bothered me. And yeah. so I started to think back then, like, what, like, what can I do to make a bigger impact? Because I wanted that phone call, right? I wanted that phone call again, like, hey, you changed my business. And ultimately, like, if you, as an entrepreneur, you know that, like, sometimes how your business goes really affects your personal life as well. And sometimes it's tough to put separation between those two things that the business is going really bad you, know, you go home you kick the dog you get mad at your wife you start yelling at your kids like whatever like yeah. those, those things happen in that world and when you're having a great day life is good and you're an amazing husband and father and it shouldn't be that way but sometimes it's it's hard to get away from that so i yeah. uh i decided you know what i want to do this i want to make a difference and i want to be able to positively affect these businesses from 360 degrees and I started, I had an idea for a company called Avalanche, Avalanche Marketing Group. And I just love the term Avalanche. It was really cool. I had a business partner that actually gave me the idea for the name. And I um, ended up walking away from the, the newspaper world uh, and just started an ad agency. I had wow. no clients. I don't remember how much money I had at the bank, but it couldn't have been more two or $3,000. No clients. No experience in the ad agency world. A few years under my belt uh, in newspaper advertising, which I came to find out quickly isn't how the rest of the marketing world works, with the exception no. of you know creatives similar. And mm -hmm. I walked off and I, I passed the point of no return and started Avalanche. And was that was, where was it? Where where were you located then? I moved back to Utah. I actually moved back to Layton, Utah, left the job. Came to wow. late to actually lived in Farmington, Utah. Started the business in Layton, Utah, and wow. we set out to find our very first client. And I'll never forget, like the very wow. first client we got. I still remember the check. I can still it vividly in my hands for the first <laughs> client we got because it was the day I knew I wasn't going to go bankrupt, and it was the day I knew that like I was actually going to be able to pay myself and sustain my yeah. living. And it was yeah. interesting because from the time I left the job to the time I started the business and started just going off on my own, I never missed a single paycheck, which was shocking to me. Like I, I fully expected <laughs> something is not going to go well with this thing. It was hard. It was scary. Um, but it, it worked. And it, all of a sudden, we started growing pretty quickly. So... Talk about in the beginning, and by the way, my wife is on here watching. She's she has an unbelievable marketing background. You 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 would you would love talking with her. 
Um, but with the, when you went out to find that first client was, did that, was that, I'm just going to go cold call. I'm going to knock on doors. What, what was that? Yeah. We, at the time we would just call businesses and we would pitch them, call business, call, call business, pitch them, call business, pitch them. We started focusing on automotive for a couple of reasons. Number, well, the main reason really was because auto dealers spend a lot of money in advertising. So we right, figured if do. we get into that world, um, all of a sudden things could go well, really well for us. And sure enough, our very first client was an auto dealer in Ogden, Utah. So, you wow. know, the check, if I remember right, was $17,000, which is more, which is more money than I'd ever seen in my life before in a single check. In one check. And <laughs> yeah. And I would, of course, that $17,000 also went to pay for the campaigns and the media buys, et cetera. But it still, yeah. for me, it was like, oh my gosh. I'm, I'm going to survive. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to like go bankrupt. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. So, so you, you, um, wow. That, did, how, how quickly did you get your next client? Oh, I don't recall, but, um, okay. we had, um, a gold's gym franchise and the franchise owners uh, and I are still dear friends today. And we were hired by, I think, I believe they were our second client was the Gold's Gym franchise in Northern Utah. And that was a fun account because we would create some really fun, creative campaigns with Gold's Gym because it was very creative driven. And so we had that account um, all the way until they sold the franchise to uh, just a few years ago, three or four years ago. Uh, so they were account, a, a client for us from us for about 15 years or so. So it was Gold's Gym. And then all of a sudden we got... We got the Kia Motors North, North America contract, which was kind of huge, which is a regional contract um, uh, in, in the state of Utah. So we were working with Kia Motors to do their creative and their buys. And then we started getting another uh, dealership. And then we started getting clients in Southern Utah as well, other automotive clients. And then we started picking up uh, other types of businesses from financial to others. And it was, it was interesting because we, weren't, we were heavy in automotive, but we weren't stuck in automotive, which was nice because I found out quickly that automotive is a really tough, not tough from a, a perspective of getting people, driving people to their lots, but tough from that whole uh, culture of automotive is kind of a, Hey, you are you go from hero in one month to zero the next day. It's, it's yeah. kind of this, what have you done for me lately all the time? And so you spend a lot of creative space and time and energy and effort, just over delivering, providing tons of value because it's like, we need a new idea today and the next day. We need another new idea. How can we drive yeah. more traffic? How can we sell more cars? And it just is, it was just yeah. this machine of constant like pushing, sell, 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 which we didn't see in other industries like financial, like tourism, which we ended up later on getting very big in. Um, and yeah. in telecom, which ended up being our biggest segment, you know, fast forward 10 years or so. What year, what year did you start that company? That was in 2002, right after the Olympics in Salt Lake City started that um i actually i think it was 2023 it was a year after that so 2023 and i had 20, that going and i ended 2000, up 2003 you mean sorry 2003 yes <laughs> so Not you just started this year good job <laughs> yep, yep. I, i've aged so, 20 wow, years in a year dude. yeah right <laughs> so so you start, that was in 03 that's when i started my web development company was in that period of time oh wow um, it, and it was interesting because I, I, my very first professional client was a Mercedes Benz dealership. And, and wow. I, I remember, I remember sitting with the, 
um, this, the president of the dealership. And I said, you guys aren't even listed in Google. And he goes, what's Google? <laughs> right. Wow. Cause it wasn't anything back then. So, you know, but how far has it come in 20 years? You know, you, you think about it. So, 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 so you, and I understand, I don't know it as well as you or my wife, but I understand the ads and the ad placement, but you were doing more. I'm sure you, especially with car dealers, you probably got into television and video. I would imagine at some point. Most, yeah, there was very, in the early days, I don't even recall if we were placing any digital marketing because there was kind of this thing like who's going to, what, what, what type of, like who's going to come off of an ad that's on a website? Like who's, is that right. actually going to drive traffic? And it was direct mail, very heavy direct mail. It was TV, yep. very heavy yep. TV. Radio was really big as well. Billboards. Some PR, although at the time we weren't great at that. Yeah, that's yeah. essentially what it was. Bill, Did you do billboards and all of that? Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah, we did yeah. outdoor advertising for, well, really essentially my entire agency experience because outdoor does a great wow. job of like creating awareness and you can be fun with that. Gold's Gym was heavy outdoor, heavy uh, direct mail. Uh, yeah. So we were involved in yeah. mostly traditional advertising. And it's funny because, you know, back then, you know, to film a, a TV spot, it was expensive. You know, we, we got to the point where we were charging, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars for a 30 second TV spot, which which with cameras that weren't as good as this back in the day. Right. <laughs> so, right. so then the production right. level, like if I look back at some of those spots and I'm like, oh, that's so terrible. But at the time it was cutting edge and it looks horrible now. <laughs> And it's like, you could literally do better with your iPhone today. It's unreal. And not to mention the, 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 um, <laughs> the, you can edit with some apps on your iPhone that like are better, right? way better than what we had back then. Like, it's crazy. My, if you want an aerial had... shot, you had to get a helicopter. You didn't have drones, <laughs> like all of those things. Jill, I'm with you. I miss those days sometimes too. It was a lot harder and you had to be more creative and there was a lot yeah. involved. And I mean, yeah. we would usually like shoot a series of maybe three, four, 30 second TV spots. Oh, there you go. Right there. Yeah. There's yeah, your, 4K. There's your $2 million helicopter. Exactly. <laughs> really? $900. Yeah. Wow. Um, look, my buddy Joe says, wow, grandpa, were the TV spots black and white? <laughs> <laughs> no, but they were probably borderline. Yeah, right, right. Oh, gosh, that is so funny. She said she has, yeah, my wife has reels of her early TV spot. So, so, so when you, like, how, I'm sure eventually in that agency, you could, it, it only took, I think by 2006 or seven, like dude, website advertising was real, <laughs> especially oh, yeah. because of Google. Right. So at what point did you start? I I'm going to assume that you took your agency into the digital realm at some point. Yes, it was probably more, we were probably a little bit late to the game because we were so good at creative and traditional advertising is so focused on that. So by 2009, we actually, I had some partners um, and we decided to we kind of, a couple of partners went a different way. I decided to go a different way. Um, we, we ended up selling to a buyer came and approached us. That was a client of ours and said, Hey, I want to buy your agency. 
So uh, we decided to do that, which was actually a good way to sort of exit the partnership and do something yeah. new. And I kind of wanted to go off on my own anyways. Uh, so that ended up working. Well, it worked out in the sense that um, it created a transition point, a pivot point. But the hard part about that is the deal went bad, <laughs> like really bad. And I, you know, I, we didn't get our full money out of the deal and it ended up like kind of blowing up. But uh. I started um, my next agency, which was Sorensen Advertising, which ended up being my big, uh, big agency. So that was uh, 2009, end of 2009, and I actually sold that at, at the end of 2016. So it was probably about that time where we really started to, tr to transfer, transition into digital marketing um, from not just, not just banner ads, retargeting, uh, pay-per-click, SEO. Like we, we, yeah. There were a lot of things that we could do at the time that things have changed now, but we definitely got very heavy into that. But we also started to get a lot of clients that you know, we'd do like pre-roll and um, video ad networks, et cetera. But yeah. at the time, we were transitioning away from automotive. <laughs> Because automotive was, I, was interesting that I, it, just, it just kind of took a lot of time. And funny story is when I, when I started my second agency, I had partnered with one of our clients who was a car dealer, owned, owned car dealerships in the state of Utah. And they, you know, he wasn't that, in, they weren't that involved in it. I still was running pretty much everything. And it was called, um, we actually called it Sorensen and Wade Advertising at the time. And it was interesting because in 2012, I had a really interesting experience with that. They were great partners, great people. They ran a successful business and they were our biggest client by billing because, you know, obviously they kept everything with us because they also owned the agency and they had quite a few dealerships right, in, in right. New state. Well, I had this feeling, I'm big on uh, feelings. And it's interesting, you mentioned Justin Benson, Benton and Russell Brunson. I was just with them yesterday in Boise, yeah. Idaho. Uh, in fact, I didn't even fly in until five this morning. It, it's uh, I, wow. like two hours of sleep I'm going on, but it was an exhilarating couple of days in our mastermind. And Russell said something on stage yesterday at our mastermind that he said, somebody asked him like, how do you make decisions? And he says, honestly, I'm a feeler. Like I make decisions because I have these feelings. I have these promptings or feelings. And yeah. he explains it like for him, it was for, from God. And that's kind of how it was for me. I had this feeling yeah. in 2012 and we were doing like maybe uh, $3 million a year in my second agency the first couple of years in. So we went from basically zero to about 3 million a year. And I had this feeling to buy them out, my partners. And it didn't make any sense in my head, but I just had this feeling like you need to buy them out. You need to buy them out. And I just like, that was really weird. I didn't have the money at the time. And I went to them and I said, Hey, I want to buy you guys out. And it was odd because all these incredible miracles started happening. I found the money. Uh, we had a deal done in 30 days. They were what? out. Came Sorensen Advertising. And that was in February. In May, so what, three, four months later, we hit a half a million dollars in uh, our first half a million dollar month. And we lost that account. What ended up happening, it's funny because like sometimes I found that when something doesn't make sense in your head, but it makes sense in your heart, that's when you should also do it. I mean, if, if you don't have the time, the money, and you're scared to death, but you have this feeling, that's when you always do it every time. Because yep. usually decisions made, made on fear are almost always the wrong decisions, whereas decisions made on faith are almost always right, the, uh, the right decisions. And so I, I made that crazy decision and I stepped a few steps into the darkness. And it's crazy that I didn't realize that all of our creative time, space and capital was going to come up with new ideas all the time in the automotive world. And it was taking precious time for us to get accounts 
that where we could better utilize our creative space without having to spend so much time trying to come up with things every single day. And interestingly enough, we got a client of ours in that agency just, just about that same time that we were transitioning and they hired us and we started helping them. And it was a telecom uh, company. Think of, think of like Comcast, internet television and yeah. uh, internet TV and phone at the time. And so we started growing them and they had, they had offices in several states, seven different states at the time. And then they acquired another company in Mississippi. And so we started working with that, that account. And a few years later, they sold. So essentially they were struggling. We didn't know this, but at the time when they hired us, they were struggling because the 2008-2009 recession had, had you know, hit, hit them hard. Their valuation was fairly high at the time and it dropped in like, if I remember right, in a fourth or something like that. Yeah. And they, the valuation at the time, if I remember, was around $20 million, this company. Well, just a few years later, they sold it for $360, $370 million. And it was like in the telecom wow. world, it was one of the biggest like turnarounds. And the, I was talking to the owner, like, what was the difference? Like, how did you do this? And they said, she told me five things. And the third thing was we hired you. And word started, and I was like, whoa, like that's the paycheck. Like it was amazing. I was the coolest thing ever. And word started spreading. We got hired up by all of these same similar companies that weren't, weren't competing with our client in different states, like USA Communications and a few other uh, really cool um, internet TV and phone companies. And it was wow. cool to watch this happen. And to this day, I still communicate with that original company and the owner of the company who's, we, he and I communicate all the time on LinkedIn. And he's in a, like he and his, uh, his operations manager were just incredible people to work with. I, I, they're wow. some of my, the people I look up to the most because they're not just great business operators and owners. They're also just incredible people. And that's what, wow. that's what took us up to our first million dollar month. I think a year or two later, which was, wow. which was crazy. So that one decision, all of a sudden, bam, it just shot us up and it, it was incredible. We started building a team. We opened another office in Provo and one in St. George, Utah. And it just was incredible to work with that, that world. We started getting into tourism and working with a lot of the national parks in the state of Utah. And it was just, it was just amazing to go through that whole period of be so heavy automotive and all of a sudden we're doing these really fun, cool projects. We hired, got hired by Walt Disney theatrical to help them with this, this program. We got hired by um, the FBI, the U S air force. Like it was really amazing what happened when our, when all of a sudden you had one success and people started hearing about it. And all of a sudden we started getting hired um, all over the country. You know, this, this story should have been in, in, in um, the book sitting behind you. 10 X is easier uh, because you literally had to let go of that 80%. And I've done that. I, I, you know, as I'm reading that book, I'm sitting here going reflectionville. I'm going, oh, cause I, I'm going to, the very first deal I had in my web development agency was a car dealership and they had no idea that they even needed a website. So it was like, <laughs> like none, like, and so the first off, it was the cheapest one I've ever done. I think, Second, it, it they wanted to spend 50 or 50 bucks a month was the most the guy would spend for wow. maintenance. Turning 50 cars a month, there was no automated way to do that. It was literally me, you know, and I'm like, dude, $50 a month, but it was portfolio material for me, right? So I was right. like, I, 
as soon as I can cut this 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 dead weight, I'm going to. So I think it's an important lesson that you just said, um, man. You gotta you gotta be willing to cut the the. Sometimes you gotta cut and follow your gut. You just you have. I to, love that. Right? Cut. I'm gonna use that in my next speech. Cut and follow your gut. <laughs> I mean, so you good. do, but it's true. I, that just came out of nowhere, but it's true. You gotta you gotta be able to do that and and i think that's the downfall of a lot of entrepreneurs is they hang on to what they think is going to keep them afloat you know i reflected on that a lot and i've used that in different speeches as in my speaking career and i always use the analogy of of being an archer uh i don't know if you've ever shot bow and arrows in your life but yeah. it's amazing yeah. because if you think about it the arrow gets all of its kinetic energy by going 180 degrees in, in the opposite direction of the target. And that's what this felt like. I, it felt like I was like, why buy them out? I love these guys. They're great. They're like a significant amount of our billing, probably at the time, if I remember right, probably more than 40% of our billing. And I knew wow. once I bought them out, it was going to go away. You know, I, I, I just knew that was going to happen yeah. and it did. <clears throat> but it didn't make sense. And just pulling back and losing that was, it was painful. And I thought, well, how in the world are we going to do this? And all of a sudden doors of opportunity came and, you know, as I told you the story, it, it just, yeah. all of a sudden incredible things happened just from that one extremely difficult pivot point and, and decision. And you, 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 you know, forget like, you know, we on average have 60,000 thoughts a day. Right. And, and, and so, you know, you may be talking with your wife or somebody else, but, but inside you're having completely different conversations. Like, it, have I lost my mind? What am I doing here? This is insanity. Like, I, I can't, I can't imagine the conversations you were thinking about during that whole well, period. Well, one of the odd things about it, I found that when something makes, doesn't, like it makes sense in your heart, like you feel it, but yeah. it doesn't make sense in your head. I found that the times that I've moved forward with that feeling, it's sort of like logically, like this makes no sense, no sense logically at all. Like on paper, yeah. why would you ever do this? If I would have gone to a consultant, they would have said, you're crazy. Uh, they would have <laughs> said, hire more people or, you know, keep, keep having 2X right. thinking, not 10X thinking. But right. it made sense in my heart and I felt it and I knew I needed to do it. And it was amazing. The doors that opened just when I started stepping one, two, three steps in the darkness. And I love, I love the saying that sometimes you just have to jump off the cliff and find your wings on the way down. Yeah. And that's exactly what we did. It was that's, scary. That's so it's, it's insane and awesome all at the same time. I love it. So the, then it was only, it wasn't too much, past that, that you started doing a million dollars a month. Yeah. We hit our first million dollars a month. Uh, if I remember right, this was, would have been 2012 that, that, that buyout happened. And then I want to wow. say it was by 2014 ish, something like that. We hit our first million dollar month just a couple of years later. Wow. Wow. It's crazy. Here's, um, Jesse. What's up, Jesse? Jesse was actually one of our team members at our first agency, uh, Avalanche. Wow. Yeah. So he he was an account rep for us. How you doing, Jesse? Good to see you on here, man. That's that's so cool. Uh, you're you must be streaming this to LinkedIn. I am. Like. Yep. I'm streaming it to my that's LinkedIn awesome. and to Facebook. Yes. That's awesome. 
So, so, um, so you said in 2016, you, um, you ended up selling that agency, correct? Yeah. What did you, what did you get, what'd you get up to? Did you get over a million a month? Did you ever get over that? No, we didn't. In fact, we hit a million dollars. We actually set, settled down after that first million dollar month. And we were doing about 8 million a year, roughly. Okay. Um, for, for a couple That's, of years straight. That, that, hey, dude, that beats a sharp stick in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, oddly idea. enough, um, somebody approached me and out of the blue, we're at lunch, and he said, I want to buy your agency. And my first thought was like, why would I sell my agency? And as I thought about it, one of the things that sort of happened, you know, part of me says, why did I like even do this ever? Why did I should have kept it? It was like my baby. I built it up and it was, I just love that world. Yeah. But looking back, I sort of know now why that all happened. And I was going through a divorce at the time. It was the most trying experience of my entire life. Uh, and ultimately ended up going through a divorce and through this whole transition um, ended up starting dating again. And a while later met somebody else, uh, and who was yeah. incredible. And you know how you, you ended up, you know, through a, through this couple of year period, um, getting remarried and facing the prospect of, I had four kids, she had four kids and we were about to build a blend. Excuse me. She had, uh, she had four kids, uh, five kids. I had four kids and we were about to blend nine children. And I'm thinking, um, maybe this is a good time to exit. So we ended uh, up, the deal took quite a while. It took almost uh, nine, 10 months, something like that, maybe even a year. And uh, by the end of 2016, it was done. And it was, wow. it was kind of a vulnerable, really, really difficult time in my life. And I, I realized, okay, this is, um, I'm entering a new chapter in my life. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And so I ended up doing it and selling it. And by the end of 2016, I was completely out, which is a whole other story, which kind of leads into exactly what I'm doing today. But wow. it was a, it was a really interesting experience. I, I'm this, this, I mean, this is off of your LinkedIn right here. Um, Man, this is this is uh, it's by faith, not sight. That's right, Mag. I, I uh, man, what an unbelievable story! So you you were out in at by the end of 2016, you said. Yes. Yep. Dude, that by the end of 2016. Crazy. Wow. So so you okay? What what happened next? And uh, apparently, and you and you blended. You said eight kids or nine kids. We uh, she had five. I had four. Four. And okay. we blended the the nine wow. together, and then we ended up a while later um, having one together. So, yes. So That's you amazing. have ten kids. Ten <laughs> blended kids. Yes. Her. Uh, yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Wow. Wow. That's like a. I mean, you could start a sports team. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, we you know we have. One dancer, two cheerleaders, uh, three football wow. players. So wow. yes, it was pretty in, insane at the time. Dude, and it was interesting because so like when we went through this transition, uh, like things on the family side were great and it was fun. Yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't really work much for a while, actually. I was trying yeah. to figure out what I wanted to do. I was dabbling in things. But here's the interesting thing. When you like go to this point where you all of a sudden like generate a bunch of wealth and like, one day 
and you're looking yeah. at your banking account and you're going, oh my gosh. And you're like, it's really exciting. It's really cool. And you like, it's kind of that payback or payout for all that hard work and blood, sweat and tears for so many years. And that hours where you did like work through the night what, what, that a lot of us hustling entrepreneurs did. And it was amazing, Ken, for like three days, maybe three weeks. And it ended up being one of the worst experiences of my life. Which is really interesting because on the one side, you know how happiness is sort of compartmentalized. You can be completely happy in your relationship with your wife, for example, and completely unhappy at work or completely yeah. happy with, with your friendships or completely unhappy at home. Like it's amazing like yeah. how that happens. But in the career sense, it was, it was by far the worst time of my life. And the reason why, and I've learned, wow. I've really reflected on this a lot, was because I had built something up and I did something wrong. I tied my identity to my business, which was the, I know now was the wrong thing to do. So when I sold the business, I sold my identity. I was Sorensen Advertising. Sorensen Advertising was me. We were the same person. Everybody knew me as the Sorensen Advertising, the owner of Sorensen Advertising. And they knew what we had done and the success we've had and, and the failures we've had along the way. And it was who I was. And when I wow. sold the company, I lost myself. And I was... It was really difficult. And so I was like grasping for straw. So I, I got involved in like a business and it didn't really work out. I got involved in another one and I, it, it ended up working out and starting doing okay. And then I realized the people that I had partnered with didn't necessarily, necessarily share my, we weren't very aligned in our goals and what we wanted to go. And I ended up having to spend quite a bit of time just to get out of that situation and buy back my freedom so I could really go do what I felt like I needed to do. And every day, you know, I've never been a, obviously kind of tell, I've never been a really depressed person in my life, but this is the closest right. I had ever come to this where, which was weird because the family was awesome and like things were going great, but I was going downhill fast on the career side, my mind. I'd never really had much of a scarcity mindset for years. I started having a scarcity mindset, even though I had, you know, I bought a bunch of real estate and I think we bought like 11, 11 townhomes or something like that. And we bought a property, we bought a beach house in Hawaii that we rented out as an Airbnb where we weren't there. And we had our property in St. George. And so like from the outside, it looked like this massive success. And on the inside, I didn't care about any of it. I didn't, I mean, yeah. I thought I would, I, I thought I would. Cause like you hear yeah. people that say, once you get there, once you have all this money, like it's not that big of a deal. And I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Cause I didn't have the money. I didn't have any money when I was hearing this. And I'm like, that's, you can say that you're an idiot. You're, you can say that because you have the money right there experiencing the same thing. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, they were actually right about this Yeah, because I was so impact driven and so got so much of uh, like to me to see like businesses grow and thrive and life change. And like, that was, that was it for me. And it was all gone. I was serving nobody, but maybe my family and myself. Wow. We were going on the, all these vacations. We were tons of countries and all, tons of islands and do all these cool things. But I was completely miserable. And I got to the point where it got so bad that I was like, I would, I would have given away every dollar I had to get purpose and meaning back in my life from what I believe is my true calling. And interestingly enough, you know, I believe that business is the calling. I believe, truly believe that you are called to serve a people. And I started feeling this calling to go a little bit different direction than the ad agency world. And now this is probably 2018, maybe 20, early 2019. And I'm trying to figure out like, how, what do I need to do here? And I remember one day when it was particularly difficult. It was a, 
I was just not sure. I didn't want to get out of bed. I wasn't sure what to do. I felt horrible inside. And I read a quote that changed my life. And it said this, that the scariest day of your life is the day you die. When the person you are meets the person you could have become. And I'm sitting there thinking, can I nowhere near the person that I know I could become? I kind of felt this pulling, like, Eric, you have this potential. You should be doing something different. Like, you should be helping changing lives. And, yeah. you know, us, us disc assessment high eyes are like, we can change the world. Like, we're like, big <laughs> and, whatever. and I was feeling this pull to something. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And I, my actions became clear that my actions were not aligned with that purpose and that calling. And it was miserable, like miserable. And I don't mean to sound like selfish, like, oh yeah, that you've got this money, but you're miserable. Like, but money doesn't buy happiness. It really doesn't. It does make life certainly a lot more comfortable, Yeah. but ha happiness really comes from progress. Like, are you actually, life isn't what happens to you. Life is the meaning that you give to it. Yep. And I had no meaning. I had no purpose. I was spinning. And like Napoleon Hill said, it's driven versus drifting. I was drifting, 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 drifting. And I didn't know how to get out until I read that quote. And something happened that if you knew me before 2018, Ken, you would be like, what? Because I was the guy that was like, I was the 2X thinking guy. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Like, Empty activity after empty activity. If I was busy, I was successful, which is obviously not correct. It's a false sense of actual success, not progress. Yeah. And I was busy, but I wasn't making any progress. And oddly enough, I, re I had never, I had re read maybe one or two books in 15 years. I hated conferences. I hated seminars. I'd never gone to a mastermind. I didn't like any of that stuff. I just didn't like to sit down and read it because I was like, it was too slow for me. So... <laughs> I did something crazy. I feel I'm like, like I'm interviewing myself, by the way. Yeah? Did you have this experience? Oh, I've been yeah, multiple times, but go go ahead. Keep going. This is unbelievable. Well, well like the Eric Sorensen of 2018 or, or, or earlier would have never written this book right. ever or co-authored that one or that one. Right. Like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, what do I do? And an idea came like, Eric, you need to figure this out. And who, will, who better to go to than the best in the world? So I had, I, one thing I did have was time and I had a little bit of money. So I'm like, mm -hmm. what do I do? So I grabbed a book and the first book I read was You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. Have you read that? Awesome book, which led me to reading Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which led me to leading, reading whatever. And I started yeah. reading about a book a week. For, I did mm -hmm. this for two years and I, I only changed it just in the last year. And I talked a little bit about before we went live to yeah. instead of reading a book a week, start going really deep on one book and maybe read 10 books, 10, 10 books a year instead of 52. Right. So I started reading a book a week. I went to seven Tony Robbins events in one year. I went to UPW. I went to date with destiny. I went to life mastery. I went to business mastery one business master two. Like I went crazy. I went to, oh I, 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 I hired, I started getting involved in Garrett White, Wake Up Warrior, his programs, yeah. uh, Brendan Bouchard. I joined all of his programs. Yeah. I didn't know Russell at, at the time. I, he, he came like a couple of years later, but I grasped at every straw I could. I enrolled in masterminds. I hired coaches. I was like bound and determined because I was in so much pain that finally woke me up. And that quote scared me so bad that I went crazy and I started going to everything, signing, you know, your newsfeed's full of a new program. Every one of them, I would sign up and I would just <laughs> learn and study. 
and it became actually became a bad habit because it became so over about two or three years, it became so addicting that I just wanted to learn, but I wasn't doing. Hang on. Let me, let me get my link to send you real quick. (laughs) I'm just to my, (laughs) I still do that. I still do that. That's so funny. Oh my God. I get it though. I get it. I totally get it. So you were, I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, Essentially, you were looking for yourself. I was. I was trying to find myself. Yeah. And I, it took probably two years, but I remember the day, May 22nd, 2019, where I had really more of an inkling of who I was. And now, Ken, I know exactly who I am. I know exactly where I want to go. I know exactly what I want to be. I know what the future self of Eric looks like in five years, what that future self of Eric looks like in 10 years. I had no idea any of that at the time. It was crazy, that transition. And then oddly enough, instead of the person that was going, that never went to a conference to going to every conference, now I'm speaking at conferences almost every week. I have a, I have a speaking engagement on Sunday. I have, uh, I'm speaking at my live event in Nashville, May 11th and 12th, which is wow. the day of my book, book release. Um, I'm speaking with Les Brown next month which is wow. awesome. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to announce that yet, but we're, we're, we have a virtual event and we're, our graphics are going to be launched next week. So I'm going to be speaking with Les Brown next month. I've spoken with wow. some incredible people. I've spoken with Russell several times on yeah. stages with Russell Brunson. And um, I hired him as, as my kind of coach in the inner circle group um, that he has. And I've been learning from him for the last two years. So it has been just an incredible, incredible opportunity to go from never reading a book to writing books, which is weird to being on stage to speaking to audiences across the country and teaching other people how to extract the potential that they have wake them up like i need to be wake to wake up and help them rise to that potential that's my calling that's what i love and that's what i'm doing every day it's it's life-changing i I, dude i cannot believe we've been on here 54 minutes that's crazy like, I feel like we just went live a couple minutes ago. How do I? <laughs> Nuts. So, so you, okay. So, so let, let me unpack some of this because, wow. Um, talk about, because I, and, and, you know, I want to hear your perspective. I've dealt, I'm 54 years old. I've, I've been around the block a few times. Um, talk about what you see with entrepreneurs or people in general. See, I think, and I agree with you, what you said about once you achieve the, the money goal, it's, it's not, it's just not, that's not where happiness is. However, I have been broken homeless and I've been wealthy and broken homeless sucks compared to wealthy. Right. hundred like, percent. Like absolutely. It, it's, it's, it just sucks. Wealthy's way better, but it's not where happiness is. So, so my question is in your opinion, don't say fear. Cause everybody says fear in your opinion. What do you think stops people from achieving real financial success and happiness, joy, freedom, all of it, the whole package, what and and I'm giving you full screen on this answer, so 
It's you got to make this one good. What is stopping <laughs> people from having it all, man? All, all of it. The money. The move your head and let everybody see that beautiful award on the wall behind you. Like, what is stopping people from having 5, it all? I know, man. It's crazy. What do you think stopping everybody? Not everybody, but the majority of people. It's funny because this is exactly what my programs solve. My coaching and training programs solve just this very thing of why, what's the difference between those that are wildly successful and those that can't quite get there. And I write that. In fact, the entire, this entire book commit first is exactly about that. It's the key to unlock potential, break through obstacles and achieve your possible. That's why I wrote the whole book. And even the word commit, when I started thinking about that word, I thought it was going to be super boring. Like who wants to write a book about commitments? Like it's not exciting, <laughs> but I realized that the key, the absolute key to those that succeed and those that don't, it isn't hunger. Hunger's a part of it. A lot of people say that yeah. it isn't necessarily um, drive because drive can be sporadic sometimes. And it isn't taking action. It really comes down to a few things. Number one, do you actually know what you want? Because I didn't know what I wanted for most of my life. Are you really absolutely clear about what you want? Clarity is like the source for everything. Do you know why you want it? Simon Sinek, start with why, right? Like why, what's that emotional driver that actually wants to get you there? But then what we usually do is we go into the action mode. And the problem is, is like we hear like, oh yeah, we need to commit. But normally action is like the main thing and commitment sort of the supporting thing to action. The reality is, is if you do that, what ends up happening is you're not really 100% committed, you're 99% committed. Right. What ends up happening is you end up having sporadic action because the, the driver of consistent action is commitment. Commitment needs to actually be the main thing. Action follows commitment. And so the thing that really keeps people from, uh, from like achieving great things is maybe they'll commit to like leveling up, or they'll commit to like, uh, uh, their business or whatever that might be. And they start marching along and things get really hard and all these obstacles start come coming their way, which happens to all of us. Yep. And there are those that give up and those that don't, those that don't give up are the ones that are 100% committed versus 99% committed. There's a huge difference. When I was a kid, like people would, my, my brothers would chase me into a room and if I could get to my room really quick and I could shut the door. I knew that there was no way they were going to get in. And I knew I would live to fight another day. But if <laughs> I left the door like 99.9% .9 closed and it wasn't all the way, they could leverage it and open that door wide open. And commitment's kind of like that. Most of us think we're committed to something big, but we're 99% or less committed. Mm. And 99% or less committed is actually not committed at all. It's the difference between trying and doing. And what keeps us from being 100% committed ultimately comes down to us thinking it's, it's that 60,000 thoughts a day that we have 82% of, by the way, are, which are negative, And we only repeat 7% of the thoughts that we have from previous months, days, and years. Yeah. And so it really is that 82% of the negative thoughts that usually are directed towards ourselves that constantly tell us all the time that we suck. We don't have what it takes, which comes down to really two things. I'm not enough or I'm not worthy. And if I'm not worthy, then ultimately I can't I'm an imposter or whatever that might be. And yeah. you said, don't say fear because fear obviously is the foundation of all of that. Right. Sure. But it really is, are those limiting beliefs that do that. And so when you're 100% committed, it doesn't mean you're not scared. You're scared, but you do it anyways. When you're 100% committed, you, you don't have to make a decision every day to be, to continue towards that goal that you have. 
you only have to make it once. 99% committed means that you have to make a, a conscientious decision every single day to move forward on your commitment, which leads, leads to de decision fatigue, which leads to ultimately you breaking your commitment because you're not actually 100% committed. So what I do, and just really quick, because I know we're running out of time. What I do at, to hold on, hold on. It's the internet and it's my show, man. We got all, all the time. Right. We, I, like, dude. I have, I have a plane to catch in a little bit, but other than that, we're good. So, <laughs> well, what I've learned, like the reason why I called it commit first is because all of us have good intentions of committing to the thing that we want to do. I mean, we have, we have good intentions of committing to our new year's resolutions yet. 93% of people break their new year's resolutions by week three of January. It just doesn't yep. happen. And commitment, honestly, like when you look at like things like marriage, finances, aren't the number one cause of divorce um fighting or cheating isn't the number one cause of divorce right i mean obviously we all know that the number one cause of divorce is marriage right but outside <laughs> yeah. of that the number one cause of divorce is lack of commitment 73 percent. there's a stat that i put in the book about it 73 percent of of marriages failed because of a lack of commitment we are in a world where commitment is doesn't really mean anything be with whoever you want sleep with whoever you want do whatever you want commit to this person but don't break that like it's not really a thing anymore so i realized from my iron man days actually what committing first meant and i'll give you a perfect example when i um i had this feeling again to write a book ken i didn't want to write a book Right. It, it sounded horrible. It sounded to me like chewing glass, sitting down for four or five hours a day, <laughs> typing like, oh, like, no, I don't want to do this. I'm a speaker. I want to be on stages and like, and like right. changing lives from stage. I want transformational experiences with audiences. No, I am not writing a book. Two years ago, I had this feeling. And actually, I knew what the name was, which is really weird. Like you write this book called Commit First. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. A year passes last, uh, uh, I don't know, July, October, I get a call from somebody saying, hey, will you co-author a book with me? We, or kind of contributed to this book. And I'm like, and it wasn't the Inner Circle book. It was another one um, called The Owners, which is right here. And I said, sure. Two weeks later, Justin Benton, hey, you want to be part of this book uh, about The Inner Circle? You want to write a chapter in it? I'm like, absolutely. Let's do it. Do that. Both of them actually went on to be bestsellers. Yeah. So I'm like, the first 20 years of my career, nobody has ever asked me to write a book with them. And it happens twice in a month. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit and I'm going to do this. Of course, I was 99% committed. So four months passes and I'm thinking, I still haven't done this. What's your problem? And I said, and I, I knew in my mind what it was. You're not living the principles of your own book. I needed to commit first. So on January 11th, I went live to all of my social media channels. And I'm like, hey guys, I'm so excited to announce on May 11th, there's this book coming out called Commit First. It's gonna change the world. Here's what it's about, blah, 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 blah. Ken, I hadn't written a single word, not one. Oh not my one. God, that's unbelievable, dude. May 11th is the date of my live event. I yeah. told my entire, all the people that were coming to that, you're gonna get a copy of the book because it comes out the day of the live event. It's gonna be on your chairs in Nashville, Tennessee, which is obviously in three weeks. <laughs> and um, nothing had been written. Then every speaking engagement that I've had, which has been probably uh, since January, I don't know, 30 or 40, 50 speaking, yeah. a lot of speaking engagements, yeah. um, said the same thing. So then <laughs> that's called commit first. Commit first yep. is essentially, you have to make it harder to break your commitment than it is to keep it. Because yep. most commitments are harder to keep than they are to break. 
there is no way I would have faced the embarrassment of getting on stage and my integrity broken by not writing this book. I then created leverage on myself to make it harder or make it easier to keep my commitment yep. versus harder to not. And that is the whole principle of the book, Commit First. And there's ways you can do that in a powerful way to basically burn the boats, lock yourself in a corner and make sure that you're fulfilling on your commitment. And it's amazing when you do that, like crazy stuff opens up in your mind creatively. I, I you know, <clears throat> about a year ago, I was going to write a book about commitment. Swear to God. And, no and, and I, I, I'm sitting here going, and, and I just didn't commit to doing it. I've written eight books, but I didn't commit to that one. Um, but I, I, I think, and really it was more, I, I, mine was going to be about decision, which would be the same thing. You've got to decide to commit. I remember when I wrote That's my in book. Here. Yeah. Like decision in have, here. Yeah. And, and, and I'll give you, if I may, I know it's your, your interview, but I want to chime in. Um, Andy Frisilla was on my show, the inventor of 75 hard. And, and at the end of the interview, about an hour into it, I said, and it was an amazing, unbelievable interview. Right. And I said, I said, um, it, it, dude, I didn't even bring up 75 hard. All my friends are doing 75 hard. And I said, you know why I didn't, didn't bring it up. Right. And he laughs and he goes, yeah. And you know how he drops F-bombs <laughs> and he's like, cause you have to do it now. And I'm like, dude, and my <laughs> wife in the comments going, yes, I'll do it with you. I'll do of it course. with you. And I'm like, no, I don't want to commit to that. Are you out of your flipping mind? 75 days. Like it's, it's, and so I go, all right, fine. I'll do it. And, 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 and I, I, when you're commit, like you're right. Cause there is no way I was breaking my commitment to Andy freaking Priscilla. No way. Wasn't going to yep. happen. And, yep. and we, and neither was my wife. We both. And, and so we did it and we finished it and it was the best thing we ever did. Right. Like it just, it's life changing. So I love what you're doing. I cannot wait to get this book, dude. I can't wait. Like I'm so excited. This is I awesome. am, I'm going to send you an early copy of it. And the audible is going to be done, I think, by next week too. So I'll send you an MP3 of that too, so you can Dude, listen to it as well if you want. But yeah, this, I'll get I'll get you one probably as early as next week. This is this is like this is I okay. Sorry, Ben, um, Ben, ben Hardy. <laughs> but, you can't say that he's my hero. <laughs> I know he's my hero too. Like I love this guy, but but dude, this might be the most important book ever written because if you don't make a commitment. It doesn't matter what you dabble in. You're not, it's like trying nope. to be a little bit pregnant. It doesn't work. Like you got to be committed. It's funny. I've heard, including last week, I was listening to one of Dr. Benjamin Hardy's uh, YouTube videos and he said the words commitment is the key. Yes. And I've heard that so many times, but it's kind of like not the main thing. Usually, usually it's just like, okay, take action, do this, have a big why. Uh, oh, and just be committed. And, and commitment's just a word, but what I wanted to, re what I realized in my life that the times where I actually kept a commitment versus broke a commitment, it was because I did some version of commit first. In other words, I, again, made it easier to, to keep my commitment and harder to break it versus what it normally is. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's easy. It just means you put up so many 
Like I didn't just go live. That would have been enough probably for me just to go live and say, I'm writing this book. It's, or excuse me, the book's coming out on the 11th. Yeah, right. Know, not a word had been written. That would probably have been enough, but I needed to make sure that I solidified that and, and just committed first as much as I could, which is why in every speech I've talked about it, which is why I told my audience it was happening. Like I did all of these things to make it so much harder for me to break the commitment than to actually keep it. And it happened. And what was shocking to me, it wasn't, I mean, editing was the painful part, going back and forth with editors and like yeah. book covers, but writing the words, I was shocked at how the content just flowed and how the ideas and the examples, my research yeah. just flowed. And I usually hate that stuff. So it was kind of a transformational experience for me. That's and awesome. I'm still learning about commitment. And I'm like, dang it, I wish I would have put that in the book because I've learned a few <laughs> things like the last few days at the mastermind the last three days. And I'm like, oh, I should have put it in there, but pretty awesome. I'm excited. It, it, it just, um, the next book's going to be called Commit Again. <laughs> Maybe Ken, I mean, you were going to write a book on commitment. Maybe part two was the Ken Walls, Eric Sorensen uh, joint venture <laughs> commitment book. Dude, I'm in. Decide to commit. <laughs> Like, you heard it first right here. <laughs> that's right. I'm in. I am in. I think, uh, look, I think that this is unbelievably important, man. People have got to realize that, that this is, this is the key to everything. It really is. Yes. I, it's like, yes. I, I, I'm, I'm going to commit to being a Christian or I'm going to commit to, I, 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 there's so many examples there. It's, it's literally, I'm going to commit to getting to the airport to get on an airplane. Like, it requires a commitment and then, and, and no matter what, like if on my way to the airport, there's bad traffic, it doesn't mean I'm going to go, you know what? I, I can't do this and turn around and come home. <laughs> like, right. Like that's silly examples, but this is, this is unbelievable. Let me ask you one last question. My wife and I have been together for um, 13 years. I, I, Right, right about that. Um, and back when we first met, she was the global VP of marketing for two different companies that do 500 million plus a year. Oh, I love so, it. So she's like, she My talked. Kind of gal. <laughs> Dude. And she ran the Ohio State Fair marketing department for eight years. Oh, no way. She's, she's like, so, so, you know, we met and, and it was in 08, 09. She had been downsized from her, her big cushy job um during that horrible time period and we opened an office together and and decided to team up i'm the website technical guy she's the marketing genius and and we're going to build this agency well i had a handful of employees and everybody was getting paid except for us and one day this guy this big dude that worked for me knocks on my door i'm on the phone he, he I, yeah what do you want and he's like there's a dude looking in the windows of your SUV out in the parking lot. And I'm like, you're bigger than me. Kick his ass, man. Like, what, what do you like? <laughs> just get him out of here. And he's like, he's got it blocked with a tow truck. And I'm like a tote. Oh God, we had, we're behind on the car payment. Oh, no. And, and so he was there to take my car and you can't talk him out of taking your car. It doesn't work. So I'm standing in the parking lot with four employees watching my car get towed down the road. And it was the most humiliating moment of my entire life. I was like, what's, what's the point of even being here? Like I, I'm 
not just in business, but being on this planet anymore. I was at that point, like, I, what, I don't get the point of moving on from this. This is crazy. So for the people who are watching that are at the end of their rope, they, they don't know what else to do. They've tried everything. It's just not clicking. Their electric got shut off or is getting shut off. Their car got repoed or is getting, you know, whatever. They're going through the hardest point of their life. If they were to call you and, and spill the beans and tell you it's horrible right now, what would you say to them to help them? Because you know and I know it's going to be okay if you just keep going. But what, what would you say to that person to help them get through to the next moment? Well, first off, I would try to remind them of who they are. I would try to remind them of the potential that they have in life. I would try to remind them of that there's greatness inside of them. And that this is just a temporary moment. The challenge with being in the darkness is the fact that when you're in the darkness, it's really hard to see the light. It's kind of like when you're taking off in an airplane and there's a storm and everything is going crazy and the plane's shaking. All you can think about is the dark clouds outside, the lightning, the storm. And then inevitably, when you get to 35,000 feet, you hit the top of the clouds. And I'm sure you've all experienced this where it's yeah. clear and there's sun shining above. But it's so hard to see that when you're in the midst of darkness. Yeah. For me, I realized something after the darkness that I didn't know when I was in the darkness. And that is this, that the darkness is divine. The darkness is the place where you actually learn your greatest lessons. If you've ever read the book, Peaks and Valleys, highly recommend it. You can listen to it in like an hour and a half or two hours. Uh, Peaks and Valleys talks about this. But I would never want to go back to those days where I was right. in the darkness. And it's happened several times. But I can tell you this. I would never, ever wish it away because that's, that's the place where you have a choice. And when you're in that dark moment, you have one choice, two choices, I should say. And that's, will you let it define you or will you let it destroy you? Mm. And I would tell them a story of, I was in that darkness. I was in several times in my life and in, in my, my former marriage, especially with like the worst day of my life was the day I told my kids we were getting divorced. It was the worst day of my life to this day. It was the dark, one of the darkest, if not the darkest times of my life. And I couldn't think of anything but that day. And imagine what would have happened if, if I would have decided to just stop it then. Because fast forward now, eight years, my life today is nothing anywhere close to what it was back then. Everything is completely different. In fact, the Eric in that day, eight years ago, would not even recognize the Eric today. So my encouragement would be, Darkness is tough, but I can promise you that there is light. If just keep going, keep trying, keep pushing, reach up like I did. I had to pull, I had, I had to have an experience where I was like praying, finding an answer. And for some reason, that quote woke me up and yeah. I started reaching high as high as I could. And it didn't get easier at first. Even when I started to come out of the darkness, life still got more and more difficult. But there became yeah. like this breaking point where I all of a sudden realized that there was more and I all of a sudden realized that I was on the right trajectory. And the key is, is you don't have to be amazing tomorrow. You just have to be a little bit better tomorrow than you were today and just start taking steps out of that darkness. And I can promise you, ultimately, you'll look forward a year or two years from now back at that life and be so grateful the experience for the experience. But at the same time, obviously never wanting to go back, but so grateful that you pushed through and persevered to the dark times. So that would be my encouragement. That's what I would say. That is incredible. 
Eric, you are amazing, dude. Where can everybody, I, I forgot, I needed to ask you this up front and I forgot. Um, where can everybody find out more about you? Is there, do you have a website address? Is there? Uh, yes. It's a really tough one. It's ericsorensen.com. <laughs> it, the book is at commitfirstbook.com. You can pre-order it there, but it'll be on Amazon um, uh, on the 11th of May. Now, is the book link from ericsorensen.com? It is. Yep. Okay. It absolutely okay, is. Okay, good. Good. Man, this has been an absolutely amazing hour and 16 minutes. Wow. Um, everybody watching, make sure that you follow Eric everywhere on social media. I mean, if you don't see how powerful and amazing this dude is, then why are you even here? <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> oh, you're I'm awesome, Thank you. you know, that's a joke. Um, but no, listen, I, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing. You're, you're awesome, man. I love your story and what you've been through. And I can't wait to see what, what continues to unfold for you. And, and I feel like I'm just getting warmed up. And, I, I, right. I, and you're doing amazing things with your, your podcast is one of the best in the country. I, like, you. uh, and you're an, an incredible person. Just knowing you the last what, month and a half, it's been amazing. It's crazy, man. I feel like I've known you forever now. It's nuts. Um, well, we so, might be neighbors in the future. You never, you never know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I we won't talk about uh, that live. <laughs> <laughs> we won't. You sure you don't no. want to? Positive. <laughs> <laughs> Got to work through some, through some things first. Yeah. Well, listen, I everybody watching, thank you for sharing this out. If you've not shared it out, redeem yourself and share it out now go ahead and do it um and and because there's so much power and wisdom in this this episode so eric thank you so much um i'm gonna go ahead and end the live stream but stay with me um everybody watching thank Got you it. so much up your book one more time so everybody can get a peek at that and that it's coming out on may the 11th correct yes may the 11th so awesome so awesome. All right, everybody, go make sure you pre-order the book and we will see you all. You'll see Eric on an Amazon live with me as well. So um, we're going to be promoting this book. So, all right. Hey, we'll see you guys later. Thank you so much for being here. Eric, hang tight. We'll be right back with you. Thanks so much. We'll see you guys later. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks.